Hello, everyone, and welcome to the stories around us. In this episode, we'll be talking to Enoch Chiteka, a brother from Malawi who now lives in Gilbert, Arizona, and also studies at Grand Canyon University. This was such an amazing conversation that we actually lost track of time. So we're going to divide this into two episodes. In this first episode, we're going to talk to him about things like the culture shock that he experienced after moving to the United States, the difference in the communal culture of Malawi versus the individualistic culture of the United States. But perhaps the most amazing part of this conversation is hearing Enoch's heart as he talks about his mother and his father and their indelible, eternal impression that they have made on his life that defines him to this very day. Every day we pass by people who have stories that need to be heard because we need to be shaped by them. This is one of those stories. Enoch. Hi, Sean. Brother, it is good to be able to sit here and talk to you today. Oh, it is a pleasure to be here. This, uh, You are one of the people who I have thought time and time again, mm. I want to know Enoch's story better. And today, this is it. We get to do this. So, this so. And what a great name. Tell me, how did you get your name? <laughs> so, yeah, my, my, my parents gave me my name. Um, they have a story of a certain preacher, Catholic preacher in Malawi, a missionary who used to come to where my father was ministering. So I was born in my father's first congregation. So he gave me the name uh, from uh, Enoch walked with God and he was normal. So, well, maybe you'll get to live 365 years like maybe. Enoch did as well. <laughs> Perhaps. We'll see. Maybe. Right, right. So, Enoch, um, you said already Malawi and, and uh, you're Malawan. Yes. And so tell me about how you came to America and just the, your story of, of coming here. Yeah, that's a good question. So I, like I've said, I grew up in Malawi, uh, in the central part of Malawi, in a city called Lilongwe. Uh, my parents moved a lot, but uh, when I finished, college, I started serving with this ministry called Somebody Cares Ministry. They work with orphans and vulnerable children, people mm-hmm. with HIV and AIDS, and just the whole community, really. And I had worked, I worked with them for six years. And I met my wife now, back then, my girlfriend, in that ministry, she used to come to partner with us in that ministry. Is she Malawan? No. So she's American. So we partner, that ministry partners with churches here in the U.S., some in Texas, here in Arizona. So she was part of the mission trip that came in 2016. And then she came back again in 2017. So that's how we met. I was planning to go to school before I met her. My vision was always Africa. I want to go to school to Africa. I mm-hmm. want to serve in Africa, in Malawi. And But then when we met, uh, I had an opportunity of coming to Grand Canyon University. Uh, and Grand Canyon University is in Arizona, and she's from Arizona. So How convenient. It was convenient and perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's how I came here. The first time I came here was in 2018. 
Yeah. So what was, uh, what is the degree that you are pursuing? So I, I did my bachelor's degree in behavioral health sciences. Uh, basically just working, it's, it's a degree in the field of counseling. So I enjoy working with people. So the dream has been to continue the same work I was doing in Malawi. Um, yeah, so that's what I studied at Grand Canyon University. Well, I know that um, for us to really know somebody, we have to know their family first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what is it that you would like to tell us about your father and your mother that helps us understand you, hmm. the man who sits in front of us today, it helps us understand you a little bit better? Yeah, I have lots of funny stories of meeting people and building that connection and just enjoying the relationship. And then my father comes in the room eventually and everyone goes, okay, yeah, we know where this comes from. (laughs) (laughs) You are your father's son. I am definitely my father's son. I'm the only son. Uh, I have three sisters, so it's four of us in the family and... What age are you in the family? I am a third born. The third born. Yes. So the first born is uh, married. The second born is married. Uh, All of us are married, basically. So I grew up adoring my father Mm. a lot. He, from the get-go, he was my hero. I knew I was, I was telling people I was going to be a pastor when I was like six. I still remember to this day when people ask me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm like, I'm going to be a pastor. Why? My father. Mm. Just seeing him minister. And the more amazing thing that really, really got me attracted to who he is was what I was seeing on the pulpit at church mm. was just a quarter of what us as a family were enjoying at home. And I grew up praying and just seeking, how can I make everyone understand that you don't even see a quarter of who this man is? at home and that's 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 what got me attracted and at first it was it led to condemnation mm. and guilt because I couldn't measure up oh. but in my own eyes not in his eyes because of the reverence I had I was like if I cannot even measure up to my own expectations of what I think you expect of me. Mm-hmm. And I see you. I live with you. You're telling me, how about God? So that was really a struggle. And that's that's actually my story of salvation. When something happened there, everything changed. So my mom, same story. They are, they are the people that I, I respect the most. I, I sometimes tell people, if I can save God half the way mm. they have ministered, I would go to heaven and tell Christ, thank you for the opportunity to save you. Yeah. That's, 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 that's really. So give me a story. If you can think of a story of your father ministering to somebody or a story of your father persevering or something that really kind of uh, demonstrates for us the character that he has. Do you mm. have a story that you can think of? Oh man, the the challenge is to choose from which one. <laughs> the challenge is to to really choose from which one. There's a movie called um, "A Boy Who Harnessed Wind." 
uh, it's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's from a Malawian boy. It's a story that took place in 2001. And that's the worst hunger in the recent history of our nation that has ever taken place. And all the whole nation was affected by it. And I was at a boarding school. So, but just watching how my father, even though we were also just surviving and thriving in that season, one of the one of the humbling things I saw him do was just organizing the whole community to rally with each other. He would make trips to Mozambique. Mozambique is our neighboring country. He would make trips to Mozambique and um, travel on his own with his own money to buy food. And because his goal, his vision is always, we are here for others. What if we are eating? half of that someone can eat. If we are going to school, half of the school fees, some student somewhere can can benefit from that. If uh, So that's that's what I used to, to see him do. But in, in times of when we were flourishing, I didn't understand to what mm. extent this man can go to, to make sure that everyone around him feels loved until this year when he would travel for long days and just to make sure that not only his family, but everyone around us is surviving. Out of that story, as for me, I was, I think I was 16. I think I might have been 13 at the time. I don't remember the hunger. I remember how out of that time, I saw people coming to the love and the understanding of what the good news is all about. Mm. Out of a year where we saw death of crowd and center, I, I saw people come to know God out of a cup of porridge because this man believed this is our time. Mm. So that's, those are the stories that I, I remember. I used to think, sacrifice as a husband is the way of life. That's what I, now when I say I used to think, for me it was like every man is like that. Like that's what, that was the definition of manhood. So that was not surprising. When I see him give up everything just for us, to me it was like, oh, this is normal. This is how a man should mm -hmm. be. But the, 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 challenge, the miraculous part for me is when he does that to strangers, because I could explain why he's doing it to us and my mom. For your family. Yes. But for strangers, until I came out and realized that this is, this is what God commands us. So he's not just doing this because he's a man. He's doing this because he feels this is Christ. To whom much is given. Much is expected. So just to make sure I'm understanding it too. So in the, in the area, in the region, there was a famine? The whole nation. And this, and this, uh, how long did that famine last? The whole of, two, it started in 2001. It's built into 2002. Mm. So that was the story of your father. Is there a particular story about your mother that also illustrates her character? A lot. <laughs> I think when it comes to my mom, 
what really humbles me and what has always been humbling growing up is it's actually the story of the two of them, but I share it as the story of my mom because what I say of my dad is times two my mom. Mm. Up to this day, the one thing I learned growing up is my my father doesn't make a decision unless my, my mom is on board. So it depends, financial decisions, farming and business decisions, I understood those parts. But the first time I realized that these guys are different was there would be times when my father would be invited to minister at a certain church. Like, okay, I've been called to minister at this church. And my father's motto is always, if God is calling us, he's going to call the whole family. Mm. So all my kids are going to pray and hear from God. And you come and tell me, what do you think God is saying? So all of us have to come and say, I was praying and I feel like God is saying you should go and minister mm. to that congregation. Mm. So there'll be times when in the house, um, everyone will say, yeah, we feel like God is calling us to that church. And my father was sort of feeling the same thing. And even people around us are saying, yeah, that's, that's a, a place to go minister. And my mom will say, no, I've been praying and I, I don't think we should go. Now, it's five against one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, you're the pastor. He's, she's the pastor's wife. Now, in my naive understanding of ministry. So obviously you, you'll be like, okay, let's go. You're going to get over it. And my father will always say, okay, we're not going to go. Now, at first it used to bother me. Like this, we're talking about a calling. You're talking about Christ. You're talking about everyone is praying and saying we should go. And just because my mom says, I later found out that this woman is a woman of prayer. Mm. And when my dad says, I want a partner, I want a helpmate, he knew what he was looking for. And my father always tells me that you have to seek help for mm. someone who is smarter than you, more spiritual than you, um, who has a better character than you. And that's your mom. And because my, your mom is more spiritual than me, and my, my, your mom has a better character than me, and she's a helpmate, when she's helping me on where to go, I listen. Mm. And that, I, I took that advice and took it upon myself and it's taken me places. So that's, that's my mom. That's, that's who I know how oh, to that's be. That's beautiful. That's, even in the quick description that you're giving of your parents, it is obviously, they, it's obvious that they are people that abide in the Lord. What do you think some of your father and mother's spiritual disciplines have looked like over the years? How have they, what is their devotional? We, you know, you use the term devotional life, mm -hmm. but what did, what does that, those practices look like to them? There are two that I will emphasize and then two more that I would just mention in passing. One, the word of God. My mom did not go to school. She grew up with her grandparents, even though her parents were still alive and are still alive up to this day, but it was an abusive environment. Mm -hmm. So while everyone was going to school, 
she was sent to tend after sheep and goats. She, she was deemed like she would never amount to anything. My dad, on the other hand, she went further with his, he went further with his education. He was working in one of the biggest shops in Malawi at the time. So my father went to the village and literally took my mom. And a lot of people were laughing at him like, you have these great dreams, but you're marrying a woman who doesn't know how to read and write. Mm. My mom learned how to read and write, studying the Bible. That's how, that's how she learned how to read and write. My father used to tell her, like, I don't want to change you. So I will never, ever force you to go to school. And I will never buy into this idea of sending you to school because I love you the way you are. My mom would be like, but I want to I wanna study. I want to be part of what God is doing. And my father is like, I don't care. I feel like you're feeling the pressure until he found out how much this woman loves the word. And then that's how she, she learned how to study, just studying the Bible. And I want to say... 78% when I find my mom alone, she's studying the Bible. That's one of the disciplines that I, I saw. That Now that's personal. Mm-hmm. Um, when we, every evening we'd come together and do devotions, but every, every time I find her alone, she's studying the Bible. Same with my dad. The second discipline, prayer. I found out how much these guys have been praying for us when I was almost, when I was trying to discern regarding my wife. It was one of the challenges decision, challenging decisions I've ever made. And I was talking to them, that's when my father told me, since you guys were born, we wake up at 2 a.m. every day to pray for you guys, pray for your spouses, pray for your children. Trust in that, don't trust in what's happening today. So those are the two major disciplines that, and every congregation is gone to. Prayer is number one for him. Corporate prayer, individual prayer. I've seen things happen when people kneel down. Yeah. And then the, the other two I would add is just fellowship. Mm-hmm. They They believe in community. They believe in there's a family that is deeper than the blood family. That's the family that comes from the blood of Christ. And then the fourth one is this, sharing, sharing the stories. There are firm believers in we have to share what we are seeing in Christ. So those four disciplines are the ones that are saying they are cornerstones of their, of their lives, really. This makes me want to get in an airplane and go meet your parents. <laughs> I told you, that's what happened. <laughs> I was telling him, that's, that's not fair to me. <laughs> well, the beautiful thing is, is that you are part of that lineage and that the way you live out your life is, um, is a blessing to them and a product of their faith as well. But, you know, you are all the way over here in the United States. And that's a long way Mm -hmm. from the red, rich dirt of Africa. Yeah. How has the life in America been challenging to you? Wow. I went through a whole year 
of not even knowing that I was depressed. Mm. But because of the joy of the relationship, of the joy of the comfort of Christ, the joy of knowing that before I came, there were people who spoke to my life like never before. I remember kneeling down and people telling me things that will happen here before I came. Um, my father literally took the whole family and put me in the middle, praying for me and sending me. My friends, like four of my friends, my boss, my previous boss, literally made me write down what is going to happen. And one of my friends literally just came to me and was like, I'm seeing you walking. I'm seeing someone in front of you, but I'm seeing only two pairs of footsteps. Like it's like one person is walking, but you're walking behind that person. But there are no footprints of four people. It's just footprints of two people. And she was telling me that that's how much God is going to guide you when you go. Mm. So all those things were really foundations that held me, but I wasn't prepared for the cultural difference. I was working in a ministry where we partnered with churches from here, like I said. So I would see missionaries, people come sure. in. And I knew so there's a, there's a huge difference between our culture and that, the Western culture. Our culture is a collectivistic culture. It's a communal culture. This culture, largely it's an individualistic culture. Mm-hmm. So I knew that and I was prepared in my mind. I was like, yeah, this is going to be different. But it hit me so bad. Like, yeah, I, I was like... I hope there's something that God wants me to do here. So that was one of the biggest challenges that I faced and just trying to get connected. My wife, then my girlfriend had been at this church for like, I think two or three years. So when I came, I came to redemption, but I was longing to just get connected. I was crying and I was asking everyone. I had people who are my friends from coming to Malawi. There was a group of guys who usually meet on a certain Starbucks. I would go meet them at 5 a.m. every day. And I I would tell them, you don't know what this means, just to have a group of people that I can come and talk with. So that, that was the biggest one of all. So when you see the immigrant in the United States that's new to the United States. When you see them, what does that say to you? How does, how does that stir your heart? There are conversations that I can never have with anyone else that I usually have. We have one member of our RC who has been here since she was 14, and now she's, I think, in her 40s or 50s. But even though she was an immigrant ten, tens and tens of years ago, when we have conversations, it's like I'm meeting someone who, ha- who understands me mm-hmm. and they know that I understand them. And so it just stirs this depth and richness of conversations that are unlike any, any other conversation I can have. You talked about community. How how does the church in Malawi, what does community look like for the church in Malawi? That's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Mm. It, uh, it's a blessing because 
our culture thrives and survives on community. There's, there's the idea that you can be an island is such a fallen and strange idea that when I'm trying to explain what it means and stories I've, here, I've, I've, I've seen being here, people think I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> like I'm trying, I'm trying to, you know how you, you, in order to make a point, you go to the extremes? Right. That's what people think I'm doing when I'm, I'm sharing how strange it is to just start a conversation with a stranger on the road. How they will look at you like, okay, do I know you? And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, that's how I know you. I, I will know you if it's by starting a conversation. And I used to get in trouble when I first came because for me, it's like, so if you don't know someone, get to know them. Whereas here, it's the opposite. If you don't know someone, keep your distance until you know them, then start knowing them. But in Malawi, you are taught from the time you're born that you belong to the community. Every woman you see, an elder woman, is your mother. Every young person you see is your sister. Every elderly person you see is your grandparent. There's no such a thing as, I have one mother, I have one father, I have... That's, that's, that's not a reality that a lot of people live at. It's usually the whole community. Now, obviously, there are places where it differs. Sure. But... That's a culture, and that translates even in church. So when you come to church, the passages that people find it hard to understand are the passages when Jesus, like for example, when Jesus is talking to a woman at a well and he's making the relationship that is personal. Mm-hmm. Or he's talking with Nicodemus and he's saying, unless you become born again, you cannot see. And it's like a one-on-one conversation. And then when you're preaching and you try to say, God wants an individual personal relationship with you to people it's like, yeah, but what about my mother? If I got saved, that's where it starts to become a curse. Because of that way of thinking, salvation is now thought of, if I got saved, then my whole family is saved. Because I don't understand that I can have a thing that is just between me and someone, but it doesn't apply to my whole family. In terms of that even though the church is united, like the local church is united in terms of yeah. like a congregation united because of those ties, but the relationship with God doesn't really become personal. It's literally, we pray together, we do everything together, then we are saved. And when I sin, it's really because it's affecting my community. It's not really because it's affecting God. So that's, that's where it becomes a challenge. Well, that's it for part one of our conversation with Enoch. Tune in next episode when Enoch talks about the near-death experience his father, mother, and sister all had during 2020 and how his church community came together to help him in this very desperate situation. And with that said, everybody take care and keep your eyes and ears open for those stories around us.